many of us are just told to go into the workplace, work hard and keep your head down, right? And I subscribe to that mentality. I thought if I worked hard, then that will speak for, the work will speak for itself. But what I realized was we all have a voice. We just have to decide how we want to use it. And so once I realized that I had the capacity to advocate for myself, which helps others as well in the workplace, then I realized, you know what? I. I can be a career advocate. I can be an advocate for making the workplace better than I found it. And so it just took a lot of courage, but we all have the capacity to lead. You don't have to have an invitation to, to be that. I'm your host, Michelle King, joined by Kelly Thompson, and you're listening to The Fix, a podcast that shares the stories of remarkable people who are innovating and taking action to advance equality in the workplace and beyond. Last Friday, my firm, RPC, in partnership with Equality Forward and with support from Spotify, Coca-Cola Euro-Pacific Partners, Design It, The Economist Group and the Wealthy Her Women's Network, hosted Reimagine, a one-day virtual global summit showcasing new and ambitious business strategies for tackling the world's biggest challenges. The event featured world-renowned innovation and design experts, business leaders, entrepreneurs, economists, inclusion specialists, financial and technology experts, social change activists and next-generation leaders who all shared tools, knowledge and corporate actions to accelerate progress towards a more sustainable world. On this special episode, we wanted to share two fireside chats recorded at the event. Our first fireside chat is with Minda Hartz, author of The Memo, and she'll be interviewed by Sue Allyfield, Vice President of People and Culture and Inclusion and Diversity at Coca-Cola Euro-Pacific Partners. Minda Hartz is a well-connected, sought-after speaker and thought leader, frequently speaking on topics of advancing women of color, leadership, racial equity, and managing diverse teams. Minda is the founder of The Memo LLC, a career development company for women of color. Here, Sue interviews Minda on her work advancing racial and ethnic minority women of work and healing from racial trauma. Today, as, as part of our focus for UN sustainability goals, Minda, I'm I'm really interested to hear a bit more about your perspective and, you know, particularly whether you've always seen yourself as an advocate or activist in this space. Yeah, great to be here with you, Sue. That's a great question. And, and the, the, the quick answer is absolutely not. <laughs> like I, I, I used to consider myself someone who was very introverted. You know, um, sometimes many of us are just told to go into the workplace, work hard and keep your head down. Right. And I subscribe to that mentality. I thought if I worked hard, then that will speak for the work will speak for itself. But what I realized was um, we all have a voice. We just have to decide how we want to use it. And so once I realized that I had the capacity to advocate for myself, which um, helps others as well in the workplace, then I realized, you know what, I I can be a career advocate. I can be an advocate for making the workplace better than I found it. And so it just took a lot of courage, um, but we all have the capacity to lead. You don't have to have an invitation to, to, to be that. When you see others, you know, taking that advocacy or activism role, what, what does it look like to you? What do you see them doing for others? 
one of the things that I, uh, on my uh, computer, I have the word courage. And the definition of courage is the ability to do something that frightens one. And it takes a lot of courage to step up and say, hey, I see these inequalities. They're not okay. But not only that, let's get to some solutions, right? Let's resolve these issues in the workplace. And we all can do that. And I think once you see somebody do it, that you respect, that um, that's doing well, then it inspires you to do it as well. And so I think about all the women that came before me that I am a beneficiary of their courage, right? I'm able to be here with you and have these conversations because they were courageous and I want to leave that for the next generation as well. And so even when I get nervous or anxious or scared, I think about who will benefit from my courage and who won't if I'm cautious. And I think we all can ask ourselves those questions when we think about should we speak up on a matter of inequality or not. So, I mean, that was your individual perspective and individuals can take, um, you know, being an activist and speaking up on behalf of others. When you look at businesses as a whole, what do you think business could do to support better the development goals for becoming more equitable as, as workplaces, Minda? Yeah, I actually, Sue, feel like companies and organizations have a unique opportunity right now to really double down on, on equity. Right. We realize that it's not enough to go back to normal, but let's go back to better. Right. What what can we do to make sure that everybody is supported? Um, I have a mantra that says success is not a solo sport. And if companies and employees partner together, making sure that the workplace works for everybody, then we get to have um, more productivity, which is good for business. Right. When everybody feels seen and, and belongs and have a voice um, at the table, if you will. And so I think that companies really have a really great, unique opportunity right now to position themselves as leaders. You know, we talk about the future of work. We're in the future of work, and it really determines what companies, the decisions they make today will either make the workplace better or not, right? And so we get to do that together. And I'm really excited, you know, to see companies like yours um, moving out there in the forefront. I really enjoyed reading your first book. I think it might be your first book, but your book, The Memo. And, you know, you, you reference this term success partner and how people can be a success partner to, to others to really advance racial equality, racial equity. Tell us more about the role of a success partner. I'm happy that you asked about success partners because The Memo, you are right. That was my first book. And um, a lot of people understand what an ally is. But oftentimes they don't understand that in order to be a true ally, representation requires that you activate your allyship, right? And so I use the term success partner to say, what would it look like if you partner with someone who hasn't always been at the table, who isn't always represented, right? So that you have tangible ways in which you've they've benefited from uh, the relationship that they have with you and vice versa. And when I think back on my career, Sue, it was a gentleman named Chuck who, um, you know, he was in the rooms that I wasn't in and he saw that, you know, I'm doing the work and let me use my privilege to help advance this woman. It wasn't charity. It was just, you know, sometimes people are doing work and we just need others to say our names in the rooms that we're not in. And, and that's a tangible way that Chuck was able to use his privilege and be a success partner for me, which allowed me to be success partners for other people. And I think we all have the capacity to do that for each other. 
So, you know, I'm hearing there is it's when someone's not in the room, it's speaking up sometimes in in that instance. And, you know, I also noticed you've got a new book coming out, you know, right within and how to heal from racial trauma. And that's that sounds like it's an evolution on from the memo. Can you can you share a bit of insight, maybe a snippet of advance from that new book? What 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 your uh, perspective is there? Yeah, I'm really excited about Right Within, Sue, because the memo was just the starting point to say the workplace doesn't work for all women the same. And how do we get to a point where all women do experience a a workplace in which they can thrive and not just survive, right? Specifically Black and Brown women. And with Right Within, I'm actually talking about how we create that psychological safety so that when we are in these environments, that we can thrive, right? But it's really tough to experience a career where you've been the only one for you know years, <laughs> um, the only Black woman, only woman of color, the only of anything. When you've been racialized, micro, macro-aggressed, it's a lot to deal with, right? And still do your best work uh, of your career. And so I really dig into the toll that it takes to show up as the only one and how it's time for us to hold our peers accountable, but also hold managers accountable to create uh, a workplace that works for everybody. Because at the end of the day, we want everyone to do the best work of their career, but you can't do that if you're in a very toxic work environment. And I think, you know, these are really sensitive conversations, aren't they? And and some people feel equipped to have those conversations and, and some people don't always feel as equipped to whether it's tackling a microaggression or, you know, even even speaking up. Any practical tips you could give the audience here with how to start to change their workplace, you know, whether it's toxic or just things, small, slight things that they, they see, You know, I think this is the thing. I think sometimes, Sue, we think we have to do the grand act, right? We have to climb on top of Mount Everest, right, in order to make a change. But it's the everyday actions that we either take or don't that make the workplace better. So, for example, if you're on a virtual meeting and you notice that there's somebody on your team that's always kind of exhibiting this racialized behavior or any type of toxic behavior uh, for that matter. It's not necessarily that you have to holler out on the Zoom and be like, hey man, don't do that anymore. (laughs) But what would it look like, right? If you were to have a conversation after and say, hey, you know, Jim, sorry if anybody's name's Jim here. (laughs) Hey Jim, I noticed that you said X, Y, and Z in our last meeting. Just wanted to make you aware of how that might've landed on some of our other colleagues. I know you might not have meant what, any harm, but it still might have caused harm. So just wanted to make you aware of it. Think about what that person now, it signals to them to think about the language that they're using, right? You didn't have to make a big deal of it. You just rooted it in fact. That helps your colleagues, right? And again, it normalizes what behavior is acceptable in our meetings and in the workplace and and what's not. And eventually, those people who are being toxic, they're going to feel like they need to leave, not the person that's always being harmed, right? And so I think when we create a culture of allyship, then we really make a workplace better for everybody. I think you said it earlier that, you know, being an ally is not being a passive role. You can't sign up to something. If if you sign up to be an ally, how, how do you activate it if you haven't before? Yeah, that's a great question, because I think at the core of it, we all see ourselves as good people, right? We always want to We want to ally for someone, right? We want to show up when it counts, but it goes back to what we talked about earlier, the courage. It takes courage to activate your allyship. It takes courage to show up for somebody. And I often hear some people say, well, I want to get involved. I don't want to start any trouble. 
the trouble has already started, right? Now you get an opportunity to diffuse the situation if you choose, right? And so another idea might be even to, maybe you don't feel comfortable going to the person that has been toxic. Maybe you go to HR and say, hey, I just wanted to make you aware that I've noticed that so-and-so exhibits this behavior in our team meetings. And I just wanted to make you aware of that. Think about what that does to your other, for your other colleagues that, you know, for example, for me, you know, I don't want to be the one that always has to go to HR, right? I don't want to be the one that always has to say, hey, this is not okay, but what would it look like if somebody else did that too? And I think we, there's so many different ways to show up that it doesn't have to be a one size fits all, but think about it this way. Let's humanize it. How would you want someone to show up for you? And that's what you do. A lot of the work that you do, Minda, is about encouraging, representing, but getting more representation and getting people, you know, feeling very comfortable at taking their seat on the table, but also other people in the organisation advocating for others to take their seat at the table. Any other practical tips around helping others to get their seat at the table? I think we just have to make sure that our actions match our words. And that starts from the entire employee journey. You know, oftentimes I hear people say, well, let's recruit more diverse candidates. But what about the candidates that are already in your organization? What about that diverse representation? Are they getting the tools that they need to advance up the ladder? And so we also can't forget about the people in the talent that's already there and making sure that they have access to sponsorship. They have access to professional development ERGs, you know, all of those things that we can just do to make sure that the workplace is better and everyone feels supported. And those are things we can do, again, everyday actions. Anything else that you think that, you know, is is just a little hidden gem that we should be, you know, sharing with the audience perhaps to just think about as they are looking around their workplace or working with, with, you know, diverse talent? The one thing I would say is, as we are thinking about the future of work, think about how you want to be part of the solution, how you want to make the workplace better. And that takes courage on all sides of the table. I think it's easy sometimes for us to say, well, I would never say what so-and-so said, but what are some of the other behaviors that you might be exhibiting in the workplace that are not helpful, right? And I think if we're all doing that personal work, then we all bring our best selves to the workplace. And um, that's where the magic really happens. And so, yes, Sometimes we make mistakes, but don't let that be the end of your story. Get back out there and keep doing doing the work. Well, I mean, thank you so much, Minda. You've given so many tips, hints, but also I know through your books and your your workshops, you're really, you know, you bring a conversational style that that makes it sound easy. But I'm <laughs> sure if, if all of us just take, you know, those steps to be success partners to others. I really like that phrase. We can we can really help change up our workplaces and, and make it more equitable for, for everyone. So thank you. As workplaces are now taking the steps to shift back to versions of business as usual, it's also a critical time and a golden opportunity for them to focus on the well-being and psychological safety of employees across their organisation. We see psychological safety in teams when the team's members engage in learning behaviours, such as asking for help, seeking feedback, admitting errors, being open about lack of knowledge, trying something new or voicing work-related dissenting views, with the belief there'll not be reprisal or retribution. 
In an article in HR magazine, Amy Edmondson defines psychological safety as a belief that one will not be punished or humiliated for speaking up with ideas, questions, concerns or mistakes. It's a sense of confidence that your voice is valued and it's about candour, about making it possible for productive disagreements. Two decades of research on why employees fail to speak up at work and what issues they fail to raise has produced consistent results. Amy points out that silence in hierarchies is instinctive and safe. The gravitational pull of silence, even when managers are well-meaning and don't think of themselves as intimidating, can be overwhelming. In other words, people at work are vulnerable to an implicit logic where it's better to be safe than sorry. But when there's no psychological safety, the business repercussions are clear. First, when people don't feel comfortable talking about initiatives and processes that aren't working, the organisation isn't equipped to prevent failure because problems will go unreported or unresolved. Second, when employees are not fully committed, the organisation has lost out on the full breadth of their talent and the future possibilities that it holds. In this next Reimagine conversation, John Hicks, Senior Counsel Employment Law at Netflix, and Mark McKenna-Coles, EMEA Diversity, Inclusion and Belonging Lead from Spotify, will share how to build psychological safety at work. What does psychological safety and all of that in the workplace really mean to you? I mean, what's the sort of things that resonate with yourself? Yeah, look, I would say that predictability is probably you know, one of the key factors for psychological safety, uh, clarity in communication and being available to have tough conversations is, is really important. I think sometimes psychological safety can be, be mistaken for emotional comfort or, a, you know, tranquil conversations, but, you know, working in business is a lot of up and down. There is some uncertainty, but, you know, what people need to be comfortable with is that they can talk to folks in a transparent way. They can be honest about the things that are happening and that they're all working towards a goal that's uh, easily identifiable and understandable for everyone. So for me, psychological safety is all about transparency uh, and predictability in work. Absolutely. And I think, you know, I've worked in uh, financial services for many years and now I've moved over to Spotify. And if I think about um, the organisations I have uh, come into contact with in my time, especially in um, financial services, not necessarily the companies I've worked in, but the ones that I've been exposed to. If we think about the the longevity of those organizations, and sometimes that transparency can sometimes be lost. And I think, you know, the bigger they are, the longer they've been around, some of that has been diluted because history dictates that. But obviously, we work in fairly new organizations. And how do you see that how can organizations like what we work in now can continue to make sure that psychological safety and the the belonging aspect of that really resonates with everyone as we continue to grow? So I'd say that it, it really does require leaders be really mindful of how they communicate with the folks that they work with. I think that as you scale, as you grow, companies get bigger but the relationships in the workplace can often get smaller. And the behavior you model is the behavior of the leader that's above you. 
And, you know, if you're looking at how to scale things like psychological safety, concepts of approachability, concepts of having leaders who are able to listen to and respond to uh, the folks on their teams, it really starts at the top and it works its way down. So no matter how big or small you are, if you really do care about psychological safety and getting the best out of the folks on your team, it's leaders at the top modeling the behavior that they want everyone to have in their organization that really does require, I think, uh, that kind of commitment to be able to scale and maintain a good culture and psychological safety. I've been at Spotify for just shy of eight months now. And, you know, being new into the organization, I was heavily encouraged to reach out to as many leaders to talk about my own experiences with them so that they could see the work that we can work together on. And, you know, I'd done that in other organizations that were much larger, much more in longevity. And it was a lot harder to um, get those sort of meetings in the diary. And what I found at Spotify was I'd contact someone, they would put the meeting in the diary and it wouldn't be months down the line. It would be maybe a week's time, some day, sometimes days as well. And I think for me, that, that brought uh, an element of uh, the workability that I would want within the organization and, and that the I can feel that. And when, when they then attended the meeting, I've not had anyone really cancel those meetings. And I think that's another layer of, of that psychological safety, the fact that I am still being respected. Yes, there might be something that really urgently comes up and things have to move, but it's on a rarity. And I think that's really, really important. And if I, if I think about my time in many other organisations, the cancellation side of things, and after a while, you start feeling does someone really want to listen to me? Does someone really need respect who I am? And I think that can really be problematic for people because they then feel that actually the organization is not respecting them throughout the work that they're trying to do. Not saying that people are not, but it just, you get that kind of, oh, well, I'm continuously being put off. I'm continuously being put off. And I'm sure those are the sort of conversations you probably have with some of the leadership that you work with externally as well as internally as well. I agree completely. And I'm really glad that you put the word listening with respect as you were describing the environments that uh, worked well for you. And, and I think that that's really important. Look, I've worked at a company like Cadence that's very similar to a rigid policy-based company. And then I work at Netflix where we're <laughs> often pretty open about the fact that no rules rules and we want people over yeah. process. Now, those are two very different organizations, but the commonality in both of them is, you know, when I felt safe to be at my best and do my best work, I was working with someone or in an organization where when we spoke candidly, we genuinely felt like we were being listened to. When yep. we had an idea that we were offering up, we genuinely believed that the people who were listening to us were engaging in the conversation with us in an effort to learn and grow and be better. Now, that's a key aspect of respect from my perspective, to have someone who's leading an organization or someone who's seen as a leader generally in an organization sit with anyone regardless of where they are in the organization and actively listen to the things that they're providing as either feedback or an idea. 
that relationship with the folks that you work with is what often gets described as being a safe container, right? But the safe container is really created from my perspective by the leader or the person in a leadership position, sitting down and just looking someone square in the eye and listening to what they have to say and really saying like, that's a great idea. Or when it's Mm -hmm. not being able to explain, you know, that really doesn't work and say it in a way that's respectful, but also appreciative of the interest of the person sitting across the table from you. Absolutely. And I think, you know, the, the sharing of great ideas, you know, leaders are in a position because they've worked their way into that position. They have certain skills that have got them to that position, but leaders constantly want to and wish to continue to learn and want to learn on a, on a daily basis. And, um, and yeah, I, I may have said that, you know, previously in larger organizations, psychological safety may not have been as clear as it is where I am now. But actually, thinking back to some of my banking days, and when the an organization I did work for had a change of CEO. Now, at the previous CEO, if he ever got into an elevator, a lift um, in the building, people would have to be out of that lift. He wouldn't like people being in the same lift as him. And you can imagine that sort of ethos. When the new CEO came in, people would walk out the lift because they were sometimes nervous because he'd talk to them. He'd want to know more about them. So, and because they hadn't initially felt that culture previously, that was a new thing for them. But he created this culture that he would happily have a conversation with you, find out how you're doing. You know, sometimes people go, oh, no, I'm going to the 12th floor and I've got 12 floors of a conversation. But you know what? Over time, people got used to that. People got comfortable with that. And actually, when that CEO did leave the organization, the emotion, and I'd already left myself, but I'd spoken to friends, the emotion from all parts of the organization when that CEO announced they were leaving, there was crying, you know, because people had actually built that they felt that this CEO was listening to them. Now, actually, the CEO's taken on now is fantastic as well. But, you know, all of those sort of things are, as we said, it starts with that leadership side of things. And if we think about, you know, I, I, I was been doing a little bit of research. And when I look at the sort of the, there are four sort of stages of psychological safety. You know, you've got that inclusion safety, you've got the learner, you've got the contributor, and you've got the challenger safety. And I think, I think sometimes the contributor and the challenger safety tends to be the hardest one that people tackle with, that people find it tough to listen to everyone's ideas. And if you think about 15 years ago, when Daniel and um, was came across with the idea about setting up an online platform, you can imagine what some people had said previously. What? Are you crazy? You know, why would you want to do that? Why would you want to do that? It's the same with Apple when they set up iPhones and stuff like that. Why would you want to do that? It's a crazy idea. Look where we are now. So actually, no idea is silly. It's got to be thought through, but actually those ideas can come fruition. And I think that's right in the workplace as well. Yeah, Mark, you make a great point, and I adore the way that you describe it, right? So you, 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 you juxtapose two things, which is, I think there are also two aspects of leadership. There's someone who's a horribly good tactician. They're really, really good at the nuts and bolts of what their job is. And then there are folks who are good at what their job is, but also good at that softer aspect that you describe, the ability to listen, the ability to be approachable, the ability to consider ideas. As someone who holds a lot of 
innovative, crazy, off the wall ideas, I can tell you that I'm far more inspired when I'm in a place where I feel like someone who's very, very good at the work that they do is also willing to sit and listen and entertain my off the wall idea for at least a moment. And sometimes it's going to stick. And sometimes it's not. I'm not going to talk about my hit rate because it's probably a horrible <laughs> batting average. But the more important part is I'm inspired and continue to have those good and great ideas. Now, look, I'm not going to come up with uh, Spotify. I'm not going to come up with the iPhone, but I am possibly going to do something that may change dramatically how effective or innovative or communicative we are as an organization. And my feeling of being able to include my idea in the growth of the organization for me is what inclusion is all about. And for me really does define belonging and genuinely, I think makes me feel a little safer about the environment that I work in. And it's a tough one, right? Like we, we have um, an environment where, you know, we have high expectations for people. We want them to, you know, lift up a lot of wins. Uh, but, you know, not everything you do is going to be a home run. I hate to use sports analogies. It's like the worst <laughs> inclusive thing of all time. Uh, but that's all that comes to mind right now. But not everything is going to be the best. And, and so having some psychological safety in the fact that, you know, I, I'm going to, you know, throw some bad ones out there, going to lay some uh, rotten eggs really does make uh, for a much better place to work with from my perspective. Just wanted to wrap up really and and sort of sort of understand from you, dare I say it, the past 18 months with the whole uh, pandemic that's been going on, do you think that the emphasis on psychological safety has been enhanced because of the pandemic and the ability that people have worked from home, um, they've had to work in a very different way, everyone's been chucked into a particular way. What are your thoughts on what, what the last 18 months have done around psychological safety? That's a great, that's a great question. And I can speak from sort of personal experience. I, I think we've leveled the playing field on, you know, folks and their emotional well-being in the workplace, right? Working from home is stressful for everyone. Mm-hmm. And for some folks, it's a little less stressful than others, but we all appreciate that that change changed us. And the thing that I've seen that I think helps create some psychological safety is leaders and colleagues are saying things like how are you today right like this is a tough time is it is it still tough for you and those two or three minute check-ins i think if we can keep them going are going to enable organizations like mine to continue to support and create belonging but also empower folks to speak up when they don't feel good uh, to share that they're having a bad day and and that i think makes all the difference so For me, I think we're building that skill. We can always get better at it, but the pandemic definitely gave an energy boost to to, to folks needing to do that. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. Reimagine 2021 was held in support of Girl Up, an initiative of the United Nations Foundation. Your commitment to girl change makers means Girl Up can continue to work towards a world where girls have equal value, opportunity, and a chance to reach their fullest potential. You can make a difference in the life of a girl today by donating and supporting Girl Up's work. Just visit girlup.org. If you enjoyed this year's event, then we're excited to announce that you can look forward to Reimagine in 2022. 
We will be announcing the speakers lineup on our website at reimagineglobalsummit.com. If you're interested in partnering with us, then please get in touch through the site. Thank you again to everyone who made this year's Reimagine event possible. And we look forward to seeing you again next year. Before you go, just a reminder that if you're interested in partnering with us or being a guest on the show, please reach out through our website, thefixpodcast.org. You can also sign up to our monthly newsletter and contribute your story there. Thanks again, and I'll catch you all again next week.